the Cambridge Marketing Podcast with Kieran Kapoor. Brought to you by Cambridge Marketing College. See their range of courses and apprenticeships at marketingcollege.com. Today, we are going to be talking about all things marketing planning. And I'm joined by Charles Nixon, founder of the Cambridge Marketing College, and also a mentor for Cambridge University Judge Business School and the women's entrepreneurial group, Astia. Charles, welcome. Um, I know planning is something that you were very keen to talk about. I have to say with sort of COVID coming out the blue and companies currently in sort of survival mode with the recession, listeners may wonder what on earth is the point of planning? Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I think the same uh, reason for planning exists now as it did before COVID, when everyone had to cope with all the other problems that uh, were not seen. Um, But unfortunately, if hadn't been planned for, we would be in an even worse mess. So I think the, the, the issue about planning is you do your best to identify what the future may hold. Uh, in the past, that may well have been for five years. Then be given the fact that technology changed on a regular basis, that tends to these days to be two or three years. But inherently, there are other timescales which are probably more important, which we can come on to. But what you're trying to do is move yourself away from the day-to-day firefighting that occupies most of our times at work and to think about the future so that Wayne isn't surprised by all of the aspects that are changing in the environment around us. And we have a lot changing at the moment. We have a war, um, we have climate change, we have uh, an energy crisis, we have inflation, uh, we have um, low growth, uh, we have massive technological change, and we have social upheavals in many of the particular uh, categories that we might want to target. So there are lots and lots of change out there. And if you ignore any and indeed all of it, um, then you are just going to be constantly firefighting for most of the the time that you're in in business. So planning is essential to try and get ahead of the curve and indeed to gain competitive advantage over your rivals. Okay, you said you wanted to come back to timescales. So what planning timescales should one be using or should there actually be a range of them? You choose, as you do with all of the aspects of planning, those elements that are appropriate to your organisation. Now, if your company takes eight years to create a new product or service, then there's not much point in looking at three-year time horizons. You've got to look at a longer-term time horizon because it will take you that long to respond to any of the issues that you happen to identify. So you should be looking at something that's going to be approaching the same period. If you happen to be able to respond to the marketplace within months, then perhaps you need a rolling plan of maybe 18 months uh, so that you've got many iterations of new services that you could bring in response to changes. Dependent on your sector, technology changes either in a rapid way or in a long-term way. And a lot of discussion has been had over the last five years of things such as Congratief long waves or Schumpeter's creative uh, waves of destruction. Um, And we need to really sort of model ourselves on what it is that we need to respond to within our sector. Um, Similarly, there are long-term trends in population. We have low control over them, so we have to build those into our planning. So uh, use the model as well as the timescale that is appropriate to your organisation. 
I specifically said we were going to talk about marketing planning, but what's real really talking about business planning? So what's the difference in your view? There are many aspects of business planning, which is not marketing. So there are elements that you might consider about finance planning, operations, logistics, um, human resources. These are all plans that are produced in alignment with the overall corporate plan. Um, and therefore, one might see that there is a corporate or business plan on top of the marketing plan. If you were to look at some of the main texts on the subject, and I know you wanted to talk about models in a minute, the, one of the ones that I would identify as being uh, sound, and if not perhaps even definitive, would be Malcolm McDonald's Marketing Planning Guides. And here it identifies uh, that there are corporate plans of which then there are individual function plans, if you like, one of which is marketing. So the marketing plan, and it's one of the things we're always telling the students, the marketing plan's objectives must always conform with the business plan's objectives. Yes, they must. And it is an interpretation of what are usually financial objectives that you turn into marketing objectives. Yes. And it, it, I mean, one of the things I was going to pick up on when you said if your uh, company works on an eight-year planning cycle, well, it may well do, but you've still got to manage um, the cash flow and keeping going in the intervening few years. So there's always an element of this is what we're planning to do, but this is also what we're currently doing. Is that fair? Yes, those are the tactical plans that you would engage with for most of the time of your of your daily activity. So it is the elements of you know, product launches, uh, product extensions, product diversifications until your next or new invention comes on board in eight years' time. <laughs> so in fact, what we need to do is just distinguish between strategic planning in that case and tactical? Yes, that's very much so. Uh, strategy is a big issue, which is long term, which is about what the corporate goals are, not just financial, but what the organisation actually has as its mission or values and uh, vision. Um, whereas the elements below that are usually the interpretation of it in order to help it achieve them, whether it happens to be an international sales plan, a marketing plan, or a development of um, um, pr manufacturing production. Thank you. So let's talk about the various models that we use. And um, we could start with Malcolm McDonald's because that's, as you said, he, he writes the definitive, but there are, there are others, aren't there? There are lots of others, and many of them are attractive because they are simple acronyms. Uh, Paul Smith's um, SOSTAC is probably one of the most popular, um, but there are also acronyms of APEC and MOST, as well as a few others. Um, they all have elements that are appealing, but in most instances, they also miss out aspects. Let me explain. So SOSTAC starts with understanding the situation, then setting the objectives. Then from that, you have the strategy to achieve the objectives, followed by the individual tactics that would be required, um, the action of putting those tactics into uh, place, and then the control of that activity. That is a good um, comprehensive framework. But in many instances, you get the discussion as to, well, why am I setting the objectives now when they've already been set? 
because the organisation is ongoing. So I've already got objectives. So should I not be working to understand how I achieve the objectives? So for a startup organisation, Sostak works well. Most, which is mission, objective, strategy and tactics, perhaps works better for an existing organisation which takes its existing mission, either revises or accepts the objectives and then sets the strategy and tactics. So uh, it is appropriate for organisations to use different planning models and I think students and delegates of the college ought to think clearly about which is the most appropriate model for them to use. And then you said there was APIC. Um, analysis, planning, implementation and control. The benefit of this one is that it actually highlights the implementation and control. Certainly for most of the academic texts that I've ever read, the majority of the chapters are about doing the analysis and setting the strategy. There's usually one or two chapters at the end about the implementation and control. Yet that is actually what most organisations spend 90% of their time doing, implementing it. Um, and as Malcolm has said quite often, the most important thing about marketing planning is it produces a plan which is actioned. Um, and that is one of the elements that I think we need to think quite clearly about. And that's why that acronym is very useful, because it talks about the practicalities of implementation, I making sure that everyone knows what they've got to do, when they've got to do it, and what are the implications of their action, and then the controlling of that. Because as the world changes, something that has been set as a strategy maybe a year or two ago, as you quite rightly indicate with COVID, may well be completely blown out of the water because of something that's happened in the external environment. And we need to control the implications of that and so that we don't waste resources. Yes, I think we've all seen businesses where there's a beautiful um, marketing plan, probably sits alongside their market research. And when you ask for it, it's just sitting gathering digital dust. Nobody's actually used it. Unfortunately, that, that can be the case, yes. And um, I've seen organisations produce versions of their plan in gorgeous binding and everyone has got a copy, but it just is sitting gathering dust. It does need to be communicated and it does need to be actioned. So those elements are fundamentally important to a successful planning process. Okay, so you've given sort of some indications of perhaps startups could look at SOSTAC, existing companies, there's, there's most. APIC, um, which I must admit is the one I personally use when I'm, when I'm planning, um, is a good one because you said it pushes you into that implementation control, the actually making it happen stuff. And it is always very nice to sort of sit around and sort of think about all the various elements and had produce a lovely report but not action it. So which ones have, which models have you personally used? I mean, you, you founded a college, what, 32 years ago. So over that period of time, you must have been using planning constantly. Um, most of my time, I would be using Malcolm McDonald's approach. 
um, it would be done on a periodic basis and the periodic plan would then get amended occasionally as one went through. The vast majority of the planning process occurred in probably about 93, 94, once the concept had been produced. And that plan was uh, fairly comprehensive and was stuck to for probably the next 10 years. Um, it's really an important aspect to, to think clearly about what factors do have an impact on the the rollout strategy and so for example um majority of the marketplace stayed fairly benign until 2008 um and then we had major financial crisis and we had a situation of um, a recession and that required a change in plan Whereas previously, most of the changes in things like inflation or growth rates um, or indeed population changes um, were something that could be accommodated within the existing plan. So um, the degree to which the world changes is the degree to which you modify the plan, I think is probably the simplest way of putting it. And indeed, Jack Welsh said that if you don't evolve as quickly as your environment, then you're going to be as dead as a dinosaur. And Jack Welsh was the, one of the great uh, business leaders for General Electric. Um, so I think in answer to your question, I would probably tend to go for a more comprehensive approach. Having said that, thereafter, because the world was fairly ad hoc, I would say the emergent strategy approach was one that probably played out um, more than any other. Uh, and here you would have the alternative uh, guru to be considered is Henry Mintzberg, whose um, uh, famous book was The Rise and Fall of Strategic Planning. And his argument was that companies evolve and are emergent in their planning rather than setting aside large departments to do the planning process that people like Shell and others had done in the 1970s and 80s when um, uh, these sorts of new tools had come in and the world had been fairly predictable. Um, so I, I think that uh, where we stand at the moment, we have a very unpredictable marketplace, but there are elements in it which are on a trend that you could see over the next three to five years will pay out, and those should be built into your marketing plans. You can look at it in terms of segmentation for population, which is fixed to some degree. Uh, you could look at it from a technology point of view, where you can take some insight from Gartner. Um, so I think that um, in answer to your question, it is a inherent on each company to produce a plan and then to adapt it as it goes along. OK, let's explore emergent strategy, because I think that's um, an area of planning that perhaps sometimes gets a little bit overlooked because, as you say, we tend to teach um, the big acronyms and therefore want the acronyms are what you remember. An emergent strategy doesn't ever sound quite as exciting. Um, so a little, can we talk a little bit more about what Mintzberg recommended for the emergent strategy? I came across it when I was doing my research for my, for my, for my doctorate at Warwick and um, I was talking with my supervisor at the time and he, he was saying that Mintzberg possibly might be the external for it. And 
he gave an example as to whether or not um, strategy could be defined or should be defined. And his example was that um, uh, Henry had walked up to a conference and um, come up come come to the um, venue at the same time as the head of um, Kawasaki motorcycles. And he uh, walked in with him and asked him the question, you know, when did you do your planning to so that your superbikes would take over from the American and European superbikes? You know, that's quite a foresight. And the gentleman turned around and looked at him and said, we never did. We just did what we did. Uh-huh. Um, uh, and the implication is that if you understand the quality of your product, the appeal of your, your market, that your strategy will respond to that and you will adapt as you go along. Now, you, 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 your previous comment drew a smile from me because I think a lot of people would be happy with emergent strategies because it means they don't have to go through the strategic planning process. <laughs> they don't have to do the grift and the, uh, the grunt work that's required to gain all of the data uh, in order to understand the marketplace. You go with your gut instincts. And there's a, certainly an example uh, um, of many technology companies who over the last 20 years have uh, you know, moved fast and broken things, as the phrase is, um, and will claim to have been highly successful. Um, some of those may not be as successful uh, in the next few years as they would think. But the point is that when you are being innovative, the element often is that the um, strategic process may seem to be a drag um, and um, bringing um, restraint to the organization. I would counsel against that. I think that it is important to stop periodically and look at the world around you and even to understand what you don't understand, if you like. So the, you know, what do I know? What do I know that I don't know? And what do I not know that I don't know? So the usual phrases from Rumsfeld, but they are important because there are works going on out there and it might be on quantum computers which could have significant impacts for your organization. Um, And the fact you decide not to consult it or consider it, even if you then later dismiss it, could be detrimental to the growth. Uh, And it's hard to look back historically and point to any one particular fault that all companies that failed had. But it is true that majority of organizations do fail over a period of time. And that's the nature of the economic process. Those that succeed are the ones that actually think about the world that they're in and plan for change. Yes, you and I did um, an opinionated marketer some while ago looking at companies that have been around for sort of over 100 years and and what was the main Mm. thing they did. And possibly it was doing your Kawasaki example with they understood their product and that's actually where they started. Yes. Um, um, any startup will will tell you that the customer doesn't necessarily know the uh, what they want. And it is therefore for the marketer to bridge the gap between what is technically possible from an inside knowledge of an organization and what the marketplace would actually like to do with the technology or the idea um, from a market perspective. Um, and that is what we call market orientation um, and is an essential part of any successful business. 
Charles, that was a great oversight on marketing planning. Um, before you go, are there any sort of things that you would suggest people might like to think about? Is there anything you tell your mentees that they need to do when they're being entrepreneurial and they're thinking about planning? Be practical. Be um, sensible. Don't don't go with any wonderful, uh, brilliant idea which in reality doesn't hold uh, water because it, it's only in your head. So uh, I, I think the most important aspect is, is think about the practicalities of what you're trying to do um, and think about the timescales. Charles Nixon, thank you very much indeed for that overview of marketing planning and its processes. Thank you for having me on the show. The Cambridge Marketing Podcast from Cambridge Marketing College, training marketing and PR professionals across the globe.